Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast featuring me, Mike Calvin, Seb Stafford-Bloor of TIFO Football and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. Well, that was different, wasn't it? A transfer window to end all transfer windows. The two greatest players of their generation on the move because their clubs couldn't afford them. Yet somehow, English clubs managed to spend £1.2 billion that they just happened to find down the back of their sofas. So much for prudence and the pandemic. Who's had the best window? I'm going for Chelsea. Two key additions in Romelu Lukaku and Saul, largely funded by the sales of Academy products. What about you, Seb? Yeah, I don't disagree, Mike, although I'm, I'm tempted to divide the clubs into two different categories now. The, the group who just carry on as normal if there's, as if there's been no pandemic and as if money's been going out of fashion, and then the other clubs. And yes, within that first group, Chelsea have clearly improved. And prior to the red card on the weekend, I think we saw just how powerful they are. It's a bit of a statement performance for a while at Anfield. But I I like what Leicester have done. I've been impressed by what Brighton have done too. I think there have been some very good bits of business there. If everything pans out as it should, I think West Ham have addressed some really key deficiencies. They brought in an A. I, I think Ariola will eventually take Fabianski's place in goal. Kurt Zuma is an upgrade in the central defence. And the Czech midfielder, Krull, I think is, is how you pronounce his name, haven't seen very much of him beyond the little bits at Euro 2020, but I think that's another good deal. And they're building a nice little sort of Czech community in that, in that squad. <laughs> and I like that. There's a different profile of player turning up in East London now. There used to be, for a few years after their tenancy began, it used to be a kind of, well, we're going to write big checks and bring in famous players. And then six months later, couldn't shift the famous player. He wasn't really sure about what he was doing there. Now they seem to have found a... Well, their recruitment seems to have settled on a particular model, a player that wants to is willing to buy into what West Ham are and where they're going. And it's showing on the pitch. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd say it's a kind of close tie between between Leicester, West Ham, Brighton. Yeah, I, I think they, they, they all three of those have a have a shout there. 
It's interesting you mentioned the West Ham model there, which is obviously manager-driven with David Moyes. Adrian, you couldn't probably say the same thing about Manchester United in terms of you know, the, the deal that actually has defined the window, Cristiano Ronaldo. We might as well get to him quickly. Now we've had time to digest the magnitude of the signing, what will United get out of the deal you know, beyond local bragging rights? Well, first and foremost, they, they prevented Cristiano Ronaldo from joining Manchester City, which I think is big for them. It's great for, for the morale of the club. It, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson has, has been given the credit, hasn't he, for, for persuading Cristiano to, to come back to Old Trafford. So I think that is important because they have nipped in ahead of Manchester City, which is, which is interesting. Look, I, I think in the short term, Manchester United have had a good window. I mean, it's they've signed three tremendous players, haven't they? In, in Varane, Sancho and Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, Varane and Ronaldo won't have any sell-on value, but if if they steer them to the title in the next two years, then then that won't matter, will it? So I think you have to admire their, their statement of intent, being ambitious, they've backed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but, but what it does, it, it just... It shortens the amount of time that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be given to make Manchester United as competitive as as Chelsea and Manchester City. But now, look, if I'm a Manchester United fan coming off the international break, I'm unbelievably excited because three real high-class players have strengthened their starting eleven, and that has to be a positive, in my opinion. And Ronaldo, even despite his age, still scores for fun, doesn't he? He certainly does. Yeah, I mentions you know quite. Uh, understandably, the the obvious pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you know, does actually you know, make one wonder whether that will actually get through to him. You know, it's interesting in the Dutch papers this morning, you know, stories that Donny van der Beek was open to the idea of maybe joining Everton, but uh, Solskjaer blocked it, which I suppose is understandable because you never allow players to leave to a potential rival, do you? But overall with Manchester United... Where are we? Because there's there's an element of, of sentimentality to the Ronaldo deal. That's pretty dangerous in modern football, isn't it? Yeah, it's very dangerous for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Mike, because I, I think what this has done is it's accelerated him to a point of no more excuses. So previously, what's been good enough for him at Man United is just to have been better than what's happened before, to reach semifinals, to lose finals to be a a near miss of a club, which is a a strange way to describe Manchester United. What Ronaldo's return does, I mean, there are several different challenges. I think we need to be aware also of the allegations about his private life as a very important thing to recognise, which I don't think the media in this country has done a a good enough job of. But on the pitch, it creates a, a difficult situation which needs to be managed. First of all, Ronaldo doesn't accept losing. That's at odds with what Solskjaer's reign has been about to this point. Second issue is that he, I'd be very, very surprised if his contract doesn't at least include some assurances about playing time, particularly in the Premier League and the Champions League. So what is that going to mean for for Mason Greenwood, for instance? And I think this is one of the, the great shames of this move. I'm not terribly excited to see Ronaldo back. And for one of the reasons is, is because like it's going to be at the expense of other players. And it feels at odds with what Solskjaer has tried to achieve as if, right, well, part of his part of his time as head coach has been a slight rebranding of Manchester United's recruiting 
from you know being the club that sort of pursued Bastian Schweinsteiger or you know whichever player had the great SEO value at one time it's been out right we're going to build things and this player is going to grow into a role over the next three or four years and this is very much not that so it's a bit of a muddle <clears throat> and it increases the pressure no doubt and it it sort of it definitely changes the dynamic and not necessarily in Solskjaer's favour. Yeah look on on that I think Yes, it will potentially block the pathway for, for Mason Greenwood to play down the middle. In essence, though, it's Edison Cavani that's maybe going to miss out on the game mm-hmm. time as, as the principal centre-forward. I just feel, looking at it from a footballing perspective, you've got a lot of very good players, a lot of very good young players that, as you've rightly pointed out, have been the, the, the near-miss club, the players that couldn't get over the line. In Ronaldo and Varane... They've brought in two players that have got over the line throughout their careers. And I do think that that win, winning mentality, that drive to to finish top of the pile can make a positive difference to the younger players as well. Hey, can I ask, can I ask a question? You're an ex-professional. Does it, do, you, do you find yourself amused when like ex English ex-pros say things like, well, don't know if Iran's up to the, to the old Premier League. It's like, he's won four <laughs> European Cups and a World Cup. Do you, do you, do you, is, it, is it difficult? You, you've obviously it's gone not into, that different, is it? It's, no, but it's I mean, also like you've gone into, into broadcasting and journalism yeah, and yeah. do a fine job of it. And you get these guys that you just think, oh, just shut up, shut up, stop, <laughs> stop creating this kind of association uh, with with my ex trade. Well, well, there's room for everybody, isn't there? There's, there's room for considered analysis. There's room for just sort of sound bites and sort of ill-researched comments. Look, Varane didn't have his best season last year, but but look, over the course of his career, he's been fantastic, and I don't think he is over the hill and. In short, he's twenty eight. In 28. short, exactly. In short, I do believe that he can easily handle the Premier League. I don't, right. th- I don't think that's going to be a, a problem. Look, the Premier League is not that different. Yeah, it's a little bit quicker than than some of the other leagues, but in terms of the the, the standards and, and the pace, it's not that different. I think all the leagues have merged a little bit. It's it's probably slightly more intense and aggressive, but. Yeah, I think he's more than capable of handling it. Mm. What about you know? This is a, you know, effectively a, a swap in financial terms for Dan James, isn't it? Is Bielsa more likely to make him a more effective player? Do you think, Seb? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, Mike, because he'll be a more regularly involved player. Dan James will have a a more of a principal role at Leeds than he did at Manchester United. Also, I think I think it's very, very interesting because I, I wonder what the knock-on effect of him joining is. Obviously, you'd expect him to play wide. What does that mean for someone like Rafinha? What does that do to, to, to the Leeds United forward line and how does it alter its dynamics? But yeah, like you, if you look at the improvement of some of those players, players who were, you know, for rightly or wrongly considered sort of championship standard before Bielsa got there, look at someone like, I don't know, Calvin Phillips, for instance, you would assume there would be some kick on and some improvement, some refinement. And let's be honest, Dan James suits what leads are. Like if you want to be, if you want to play a vertical system and a system which requires a lot of energy, a lot of other things too, but it is very back and forward. I can think of worse players to sign than a really, really, really quick winger who, okay, his end product isn't great, but I think it's been judged a little bit harshly because of where he's been up until this point. This suits him. This is a a more forgiving environment and I don't think he'll do very, very well there. Mm. What about Manchester City, 
aid. It does sound strange that they could break the transfer record, £100 million for Jack Grealish, and there's a but in the sentence. But you know, there's still that lack of a number nine that they were trying to address. And were they a bit exposed, the strategy a bit exposed, by the Ronaldo fiasco? Yeah, I mean, it is hard to work out what their strategy was. Clearly, they were in the market for a number nine in Kane, and then they turned their attention to Ronaldo. So so to end up with, with, with neither when you're a club with the financial clobber of Manchester City that does raise question marks, doesn't it? Wage structures, I guess. Wage structures have always been quite important. I think there, they haven't actually paid as much in terms of, of annual salaries to their players as, as the likes of, of, of Manchester United and certainly not, not your PSGs of this world. So... So maybe maybe they just put the handbrake on it. It's a yeah, it's a strange one because I think from a footballing perspective, Pep Guardiola could really have done with a different option up front. They're brilliant at what they do. We saw we've seen that in the last two home games, but I think to yeah to progress as a team, they need someone that's that can be that platform to give them an alternative. And yeah, it's a, it's a real head scratcher as to why they didn't do it. Perhaps. Next summer they go all in for Haaland, but but in that bidding war, when we talk about wages, it, it, it doesn't feel like City will be that competitive when, when everybody puts their offers on the table to Erling Haaland. I don't think their salary will, will be able to match some of the other teams. One of the trends of the last month or so, Seb, you know, despite the avalanche of money that's been spent, is is the awarding of long term contracts. You know, Ruben Diaz getting six more years at Manchester City being a case in point. Though you can argue that a contract of that length didn't do Harry Kane much good, did it? (laughs) And again, that's the same with Liverpool, isn't it? I think it's six or seven renewals that they've had. Is that a trend that you would expect to continue? Honestly, Mike, no, not really. Maybe at a club like Manchester City, it's a little bit different because you're... A a player like Ruben Diaz is not going to get poached in the same way that Manchester City attempted to to sign Harry Kane. It's a different, slightly different level of the game. But I've always thought that contracts would end up getting shorter, especially at the elite level, just because if you're you're in, I don't know, maybe the, the top 20, top 30 players in the game, it probably suits you to be operating on a two or three year deal basis so that, you know, you can renew your value. Your worst case scenario is probably that you can find a, another contract slightly lower down the, the the levels. But also, should you find yourself in a Harry Kane-type situation or the scenario that Kylian Mbappe will find himself in next summer, then you have all the leverage. And I don't know, like I six year, it, it almost seems a little bit quaint, doesn't it, to be talking about sort of security and, yes, you know, I'm guaranteed to be here for six years it just doesn't seem to be working in a player's interest so no not really I, I would have thought the opposite would be true I, I I would expect in the future to see a sort of a, a slightly more transient player population especially amongst elite and you know contract length going down it can kill your career can't it if if you're stuck on a long-term deal and the manager seems, hates you yeah it's, it just seems very com- I mean not like I, I'm really I'm really reticent to talk about players, you know, being greedy or just taking the money. But some of the contracts that have been signed, it must be very, very difficult to walk away from. Like I, I think of like, for instance, the Danny Drinkwater situation. I think that's quite sad because I think there's been some sort of personal problems that have resulted from that. I noticed that Ross Barkley didn't move yesterday. 
which is not in his interest because he's not going to play at Chelsea. And I feel like that's a that's a little bit of a talent wasted situation. And we've seen this before. And I, I it's just nothing wrong with with uh, knowing not knowing your place because that has a negative connotation. But knowing what your level is and knowing knowing what your your best situation is to thrive in. And I think that favors a shorter term contract because it means that you can reassess, uh, you know, every 18 months, every 24 months. That just seems to be more in a player's interest aid. Mm. Yeah. You know, the art of recruitment, chaps, is, is you know, essentially looking up to about three years ahead. What's the, the natural progression of the, of the team? How is a club developing financially, strategically? And I suppose in that context, aid. How important is it that Liverpool sought out the contract impasse with with their sporting director, Michael Edwards? Because he's the guy who's going to have to oversee the next phase of development of that football club. Probably in the next three years, need to find a new manager. Klopp's there till 24, a new generation of talent. It's a completely different ball game, isn't it? Yeah, look, this guy knows what he's doing. That is for sure. He is an expert in the field. And on the face of it, you would imagine that, yeah, Liverpool need to tie him down to a new contract. They need to persuade him that they will go again and they'll regenerate and that he will be at the forefront of that that regeneration. It's just an awkward situation, isn't it? Because, like you, as you say, will they have a different manager? You know, if you're rebuilding for a different manager, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a tricky, delicate situation, isn't it? Obviously, not a lot happened this summer, and I guess that he will also want to know. Well, look, you know, I want to be out there doing what I do best. I've had a very quiet summer in that in that regard. Is this the way it's going to be, or are you going to give me, you know, the clout to go out there and rebuild? So, so no, it's yeah, they've got to they've got to look at themselves in the mirror and say, where do we want to go? Is this the right guy to, to take us there? And, and I think, you know, recent history suggests that he's very trustworthy in terms of, of, of being handed the keys. In his position, though, he might think, well, I, I, you know, I helped to build a title winning side. I helped to build a team that won the Champions League. My stock has never been higher. Yeah. Where should I, you know, should I, should I go somewhere else and have a little fresh challenge? So, so I do see it from his point of view that there are a number of clubs, you know, one close to my heart that 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 would would potentially be be looking to identify someone as talented as him. So, so we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. In his position, I must admit, I would certainly be thinking my stock is high enough for me to. To sort of yeah look around, but also guys, would you would you even want the challenge facing him? Because if you think about the pieces that are going to have to be replaced at Liverpool in the next couple of years, and the entire forward line are approaching their thirties, Virgil Van Dijk is not a young player. Jordan Henderson has just signed a renewal, but he's not a young player either. If you're talking about replacing those players with what seems like quite a limited budget at Liverpool, is it? It's kind of a no-win situation. You think right, well. I've won a European Cup. I've won a Premier League. This is me now. That's my body of work. Somebody else can deal with a tricky rebuild. I think it'd be very, yeah. very smart <laughs> yeah. to duck that and just say, look, I, you know, because I, you know, if if then sort of the next mini era of football is going to be about efficiency and not just PSGing the transfer market, then <laughs> Michael Edwards can pretty much name his job and, and, and his wage for that. Like I, and, you yeah. know. 
I also believe that, that the Fenway Sports Group have, have sort of not interfered, but they've brought in some of their own people in terms of data analysis. And I think they are changing the way that they they look to to recruit, you know, certainly be, becoming more data-driven than they've ever, they've ever been before. So, again, he's got to look at that and say, look, is that me? I, I'm with you, Seb. I think I think the time might be right for him to, to, to let somebody else take over. Yeah, there's an element of PR in all this, isn't there? You know, there is some disquiet, and this is modern fandom for you, that Liverpool have had a quiet window. So basically, you know, there is a, I would say, a sizable minority of fans who don't like what has not got on, if you know what I mean. And when when they announced Jordan Henderson's renewal on transfer deadline day, I just thought, oh, well, that gives them something to talk about, doesn't <laughs> like it? Exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly, yeah, get the cliches <laughs> out, chaps. Seb. I don't know whether this is fair, but Arsenal, yeah, they're seen and they're perceived as losers in this window, despite spending around £150 million. Is that proof that weight of money can't be judged in isolation, or is it simply you know, a false view of it? Uh, oh, that is a tricky question and an unfair one. <laughs> Arsenal, Arsenal situation. It's my stock in trade, mate. Don't yes, worry. mate. You 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 throw me a hospital pass. I wonder whether, I wonder whether a few pennies still have to drop at Arsenal because I feel like one of the one of the overlooked issues in recruiting is that you recruit in a way that you know is defined by your place in the game. You know, within sort of a one or two or three year period. Like Arsenal are a big club. Arsenal are a big name within European football but at the moment in Premier League terms Arsenal are a non-competitive also ran they're not playing European football either it would be a surprise if they competed properly for any of the domestic cups and so that's your basis from which to recruit so the idea that Arsenal were ever going to go out and spend lots and lots and lots of money on a on today's version of Alexis Sanchez or Meza Ozil or you know even a Per Matic, it's fantasy it's just not going to happen because it's really difficult to it's really difficult to attract players to this particular project. That's that's the uh, that's the term that keeps getting used at Arsenal. The project, the project, the project. You know, you know, have faith in the plan. Well, if I'm a player today, I'm looking at what's going on there and thinking, oh, I'm not spending two years there, or I'm not. I don't want to join that club until I know what that club is doing, or when it's clearer where that club is heading. And that's really important. You can't. There are very few clubs in this world that when they have a little bit of a downturn or a big downturn, can simply buy their way back to positive momentum. Arsenal are not Manchester United. Arsenal are not Chelsea. Arsenal are not Real Madrid or PSG. It just doesn't work like that. So I actually like some of their transfer business. I think Ben White's a good player. I think Tommy Yasu will... I was a little bit bemused by the reaction to him on uh, some of the coverage of his transfer, treating him like a, a bit of a nobody. He's a good player and he's better than anybody that Arsenal have got in that position between sort of, you know, the right of a, a back three and, you know, an outright right back. He's a, he's a very good player. It's just that it's not what used to happen 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And so context is really important. Arsenal are rebuilding. There is no quick way back for Arsenal. And I feel like that just has to be accepted. I don't know whether that means that Mikel Arteta is the right person to take them on that journey. But very clearly, it's this is not going to be fixed in a year. And it's definitely not going to be fixed within the space of a single transfer window. It just doesn't happen like that. Yeah, it seems to me that Arsenal always had, and I'm going back to generation here, that air of imperturbability. 
it had a you know we we always used to talk about the marble halls and and the class attached to that there was a stability about it now you see what's gone on in the football club even in the last sort of week or so where you've got okay you know historically the earlier this summer you've got a knee jerk decision like giving jacker a new contract which i couldn't get my head around at all you had the misplaced macho management of uh, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, and the club were extremely fortunate that Villian forfeited £20 million. That's £20 million, folks, to walk away from his contract and join Corinthians on 70% less than his current £240,000 a week. So given all that aid, can you give me reasons to be cheerful if I'm an <laughs> Arsenal fan? Well, look, they've signed some good, hungry young players. The, the age profile is, 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 is fine. They, these are players that should improve during the duration of their contracts. That's where Arsenal are at. They can't go out and prize a ready-made superstar out of a, out of a big club. That's just not where, where they are at the moment for, for the reasons Seb outlined. You know, Ramsdale, delighted to make the step up. Tommy Yasu, the same. Ben White, the same. Lakonga from Anderlecht, absolutely the same with Tavares as well. So with Erdegaard, it's it's a case of, of of him pressing the reset button on his career. Now they're all they're all talented players that 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 improve the squad. Uh how many improve the starting eleven? Ben White does, for sure. Tommy Yasu will do. But the others are fighting for their places. I don't think Erdegaard, Ramsdale, Laconga or, or Tavares are, de- are nailed on starters. So, so yeah, look, they've beef, beefed up the, the quality there. The, the disappointment from my angle, and, and actually before I get to that, you also have to consider that it's an awkward time to sign for Arsenal because there's so much uncertainty in the air with results, with talk of change. Is that the right time to, to to be joining a club? So so I think they're they're up against it in that regard. The disappointment from my end, and I think from from most Gunner supporters, is they can't sell anyone, and and that 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 is a real head scratcher. Obviously, they brought in good money for Joe Willock, but that aside, they've either given players away or loaned them out. They've not recouped any money. Maitland Niles had value in the transfer market. Eddie Nketiah has value in the transfer market. And if you don't see them as regular starters, then 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 my view would be to to cut them loose, to bring in some funds to to reinvest in starters. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think they've been losers in this window, but I, I'm certainly not overjoyed by it because even though they've brought in some quality younger players, that refresh, that rebuild that, that all Arsenal fans wanted, it doesn't feel like it's materialised. Let's look at your um, club, Seb. Spurs, have you basically got a half-finished job here? You've got Harry Kane staying for now, and he's gone to the England camp and, and stressed that his conscience is clear about the way he's handled it all. But there's no backup for him and, and son. Emerson Royale will probably solve that right back problem. But what else? Well, under the circumstances, I think the club have done really well. Romero is a fantastic addition at centre-half. He's an excellent player. Real is a very significant upgrade on what was at right back. There are a few issues, and it would have been nice to see another midfield addition. It would definitely be useful to have a backup to Harry Kane. But let's be fair, Tottenham's squad was neglected for a very, very long time. 
parts of it were damaged by Jose Mourinho's management and certain players are still in a recovery process. I think of people like Eric Dyer and Davison Sanchez and Harry Winks. Clearly, they suffered under his management. Deli Ali is very obviously another. So there's a little bit of wait and see going on, I suspect, because you want to know if some of these players can grow back to where they were, in which case you don't have to spend 25, 30 million pounds replacing them or you don't need to settle for, for sort of knockoff fees if they're there to leave the club. Sergio's contract has been paid up by mutual consent. That's another big positive to get him out of the club because he wasn't happy and you don't want unhappy players at the club. So I don't know. It, it feels like a big step forward, but I, I think I think you have to be realistic. And you know, in this climate, without Champions League football and without the revenue from the stadium being worth what it will be in a year's time, how much further forward could they have really been? Would there have been a value, for instance, Mike, in saying, right, well, we need... We need cover in certain positions, so let's take this player and this player, even though they're not quite what they want, purely for the sake of adding to our wage bill and you know allowing us to sleep a little bit better at night. I don't really believe in that. I think if Tottenham can compete for a top six place this season, get back into the Europa League, maybe have a little bit of a run somewhere in a cup and in the, the Conference League, then that's quite a good season. I don't think you're expecting a quantum leap forward from this group. And I, I think they've done that. I think they've acquitted themselves. They'll need a bit of luck and they'll need to keep Kane fit, obviously, and focused and motivated and, you know, keep him away from influences, I think. Let's put it that way. But it's it's a good squad and uh, I like Nuno Espirito Santo. Let's make a... There's an important point here. I think a lot of fans like Nuno Espirito Santo as well. They... They don't necessarily expect him to turn into another Maurizio Pochettino. He's not going to necessarily lead a you know a tremendous renaissance in the club's fortunes, but they like him in a way that they didn't like Jose Mourinho. That's a really important difference because it's meant that people have come back into the stadium optimistic and people, yeah, they'll grumble about the transfer window, but when has that never not been true? And, and which club can where where is the club in the country where there aren't you know people complaining about you know we needed this this guy and this other guy and you know three more forwards and you know four extra goalkeepers, but as far as people are people are optimistic and that's a very precious commodity and it's it's healing a lot of the damage done over the last couple of years. Well, I would suggest that there are quite a few happy bunnies in Leicester. You know, you mentioned them yourselves at the start, Seb, Aid. Sometimes in the transfer window, you almost have to gauge the success or otherwise of a club's activity, not by the players that they sign, although in Leicester's case, Adam Ola Lookman seems to be a pretty and typically shrewd signing. It's actually in the players that they avoid selling. Now, this is the first time for about six or seven years that Leicester haven't lost or sold a key player. Does that show you how far they've come? It really does. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm glad you bring up that point because they have two central midfielders that would, in my opinion, walk into a you know Champions League chasing team. You know, I know that Leicester are that already, but but they could move to bigger clubs, no doubt about that. And Didi and Tielemans, I mean, they're absolute class. James Madison, obviously, there was talk of him him moving on and they managed to keep him. So no, it's um it's a very stable ship, isn't it, at Leicester City. Very stable. And they are likely to be right in the mix again. And I think that they've that they've improved their squad. Obviously they're hamstrung right now by colossal injury issues at the back. And that and that, that that's a problem. 
and they yeah they need to sort of get get their key men back. But but when you look at the squad, it's it, it's really strong. I like Lookman. I think he's an impact player, someone certainly that will come off the bench and make a difference on occasion. Obviously, he could force his way into the starting eleven. Dakar for me, even though he's had a quiet start, will will push Jamie Vardy for a starting berth moving forwards. And, and look, Vestergaard, Bertrand, Samare, you know these guys. These guys are good players. So so yeah, well well played, Leicester. I think uh, yeah, I wouldn't say they're the the overall winners of the window, but but they've had a very successful few months. How do you judge Aston Villa, Seb? You know they got their business done early. The three. Yeah, attacking or offensive players that they they brought in, Danny Ings, Emmy Wendier, and, and Leon Bailey have, have all started productively. It seems to me that there's a platform being built there. Yeah, I was very impressed by how they handled the difficult situation. I thought Christian Perslow's statement was impressive. I thought that they understood as a bit of game planning from a PR perspective, it was smart because they got out in front of a scenario which could have led to a lot of irritation and anger. They explained their position. It became, it was made clear very quickly that there was a release clause in Jack Grealish's contract, which meant they had no option. So it took all the heat off them, showed that they'd done some forward planning, and they've bought three very, very good players. Danny Ings, I think, is um, will prove to be an excellent signing. Wendia, lovely player, don't know. Leon Bailey <clears throat> has always been a sort of peaks and troughs kind of player in Germany. Like he's, he has moments and I think that will prove to be the case in England. He'll fluctuate. There'll be six weeks where he's one of the best players in the league and everyone falls in love with him and then he'll dip a little bit. But he, out on his day, he's a super player. Reminds me a little bit of Laurent Robert back in the Newcastle days, just in terms of being a real crowd pleaser. But yeah, I, I, I can't fault them. Like it, there's no, there's no upside to having, to, to, to selling a player like Grealish just because of what he means and where he's come from and what it represents it's just it's a it's a horrible reality of the game that clubs at villa's level have to do these things it's just they, they have no choice. It, they didn't wallow or turn it into a hard luck story did they they no. just they took it on the chin they they laid it out there this is the reason we've sold him they put it in in clear and plain facts and they instantly replaced them with with, with three really good players and and that's why, yeah, that's why the mood is not bad at hey, all. Like, hey, yeah. when, when, I, when I watch Perslow's statement, I think I found myself halfway through. I watched it live. I remember thinking, yeah, you should have sold Jack Grealish by the end of it. And I, I felt like I, I've, I've been spun. Fantastic. Because they, they presented it as a kind of, well, we don't want to be relying on one one player. And they were like, yeah, that that, that, that makes sense. And I, yeah. I'd have done the same. And like in the cold light of day, maybe, you know, the reaction is a little bit different, but very well handled. And I think... Um, there's some, there's some chief executives around the league who could learn from that, I think. And we'll see what Villa are, but I'm excited. I think they're a, they're a good team and, um, you know, they're not a... Well, I'll put it this way, they're no longer a team that you think, right, if they finish 15th, they'll be happy. No, no, that, that should be a top-half team now. And that's a success then, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's so much interconnectivity in football, isn't there? You know, we mentioned Emi Wendia there. You know, Norwich took their 30 odd million pound profit on him they've actually gone for almost a wholesale reboot they've they've made 12 new signings a mixture of of loans people like Billy Gilmore and Brandon Williams Quebec Matthias Norman and some quite interesting signings uh, you know I was quite struck by uh, Josh Sargent from Werder Bremen it seems a pretty sensible policy what do you think Aid? yeah learning from their mistakes last time they came up to the Premier League Norwich were too reliant on the players that got them there 
and they left themselves short of, of top-level quality, didn't they? And, and they were blown away, let's be honest. I watched them in the flesh towards the end of last season at Carrow Road, beat Brentford, and they were they were sensational. Really, really high-class championship team. But Daniel Farker and the team there have, have recognised that, that, that the Premier League is a different animal, and, and they've they've brought in players accordingly and and I, I would back them on it Josh Sargent really impressed in the Carabao Cup game against Bournemouth excellent up front Christos Solis from from Pauk exciting player out wide and yeah Billy Gilmore what a loan deal that is that that was smart wasn't it that was that was an excellent piece of sort of under the radar you know discussions I guess from from Farker to Tuchel that can we do a deal there? And, and and I think that was that was really really smart. So and Quebec again at the back. Quebec wasn't sensational for Liverpool, but but I think he he showed that he's good enough for the for the Premier League. So uh, as has Brandon Williams at Man United. So that, look, yeah, I think Norwich have had a, a good window, and despite their difficult start, I think they're going to be a lot lot more competitive this time around. Hmm. Yeah, part of the process is trying to minimise the influence of owners, which I think David Moyes has done at West Ham. But occasionally, it's overwhelming. I know we've been here before, almost ad nauseam, but the perils of stagnation at Newcastle. Nothing changes, does it? Literally nothing changes there, Seb. Yeah, it's the same every window. It feels, it's a strange thing, because on the one hand... Newcastle got their main target, but they probably overpaid for Willock. I think he's a good player. I think he's a 20 million pound good player. And also other parts of the side have been neglected. And it always feels, I want, I'll tell you what, one of the, I don't know whether it's intentionally like this. Everything at Newcastle takes forever. And I don't know what that describes, whether it's a kind of, well, is it a way of distracting fans from how little else is going on? I mean, I've seen that conspiracy theory around. I don't know how true it is or how fair it is to level it at Newcastle. But they seem incredibly inefficient. If you look at what was available this summer and what they could have had, not necessarily on a permanent basis, but on loan, you know, because there are a lot of good players who were available, you know, on favourable terms this summer from clubs who just wanted to get them off the wage bill. Well, Newcastle could have done a lot more than they did. And if you're... Or what happens, for instance, if... Callum Wilson gets injured for any length of time. You, you know, are going to rely on Almiron for a source of goals, Sam Maxman for a source of goals. I mean, good players and they'll occasionally score some nice goals, but are they going to score 15 a season? No. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's an instance of a club who don't really want to be that proactive and yet never seem to learn the one lesson that they need to is that if you want to move up, if you want to, if you want to go further up the food chain, buy young players sell them on for profit, reinvest the money. It's kind of what Palace look to be starting to do now. That's the model they seem to have embraced. But Newcastle, it's as if, and I was half expecting the Willock deal to collapse because then it would be, well, you know, we spent all of our summer working on this and, and he was our, you know, our main target. And, and then, oh, but there's no time left now. So we'll just carry on with what we had before. Wouldn't that have felt so typically Newcastle? There's no sort of, um, who is in charge of the kind of the overarching strategy? I don't know. Is it Steve Bruce? I mean, is it Lee Charnley? I'd like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know who's responsible. And I, I feel like it's intentional that I don't know that. It's by design. And uh, it's just, again, for 
the I, I don't even know how many transfer windows in succession we've said this for, but it, it just it's exactly the same. Copy and paste whatever I said last year, Mike. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think sooner or later they're going to get relegated. To be perfectly, I honest. think it'll be the season. I think it'll be the season. I, I think there's um, there's not enough in that squad. I I, I think um, I watched their game. I live in Germany now, so I'm no longer subject to the Saturday three pm blackout. So I watched their game with Southampton and. It's going to be very hit and miss. They're not strong enough to 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 be guaranteed of points in that kind of game, and I worry for them. I think this time. Yeah, if Wilson Wilson and Sam Maximan get injured or lose form, they're in huge trouble. The, the, those two are the only guys I think that can that can save them from the drop. Mm. Seb mentioned Palace there, Aid. They've lowered the age profile definitely. I suppose now we await to find out whether they've got the right manager. We do, yeah. It's um, uh, I'm quite impressed in the way that he's. I said performances haven't been great so far. Better at, at West Ham, obviously. I'm quite impressed with the way that he's remoulded the style. Uh, a little bit like at Brighton when Graham Potter came in, instantly they they changed things around, and and players that you didn't think were capable of playing in a certain way showed that they are, and and look, they're they're playing out from the back, which, which yeah, which is different. Clearly, the acquisition of Mark Gray and uh, Joachim Anderson are integral to that because obviously they're used to playing out out from the back. But no, I think I think look, they've got some promising young players. Gallagher's a good box to box guy. Michael Elise when he's fit, I think will make a difference. Will Hughes, classy on the ball. Watson Edward lost his way at Celtic, but but was superb a couple of years ago. So so he he could catch fire. No, I, th- I think they've they've done some really good business. We just don't know, do we? How how good Vieira is going to be? I think, I think, yeah, he wants them to play in a patient, a more patient way. But can he translate that into scoring enough goals and creating enough chances? After three games, the answer is oh, doubtful. But but let's give him a little bit more time. Yeah. What about Burnley? Seb. Let's, it's fair to say that they haven't been enthusiastic participants in the transfer market in recent years. There's been a bit of a a switch. I think it's five signers coming in, principal among them Maxwell Cornet for about 13 million. They picked up the Welsh international Conor Roberts for just over two. Too little, too late? Not necessarily. I, I think it's quite interesting that he's replaced both his fullbacks or looks likely to because that suggests... Yeah, I think has got a bit stale, needs a bit more energy. Like, Cornet's a very aggressive player, Connor Roberts too. I wonder, like, I I saw bits of their game with Leeds. I'm sure uh, Sean Dyche loved conceding to a late Patrick Bamford goal. Um, <laughs> I I don't know, like, I, I, I'm really wary of falling into the same trap because it feels as if Burnley habitually are a slow starter. They come to the league, they have a bad September, October, November. Everyone starts saying, well, they're going to get relegated. And then while you're not looking, they grind away in the background and they become safe by March or April. I'm encouraged by... I think I'm encouraged by their ability to attract a player like Cornet. I think he, once upon a time, he was thought of very, very highly in European football. Not really the case anymore, but I think that's a very high-profile player to be able to entice to a club like Burnley. It's not very typical. So I'm interested in what they did to do that. I What was... What is the three-year plan here? What is the, the strategy? Obviously, they are under new ownership now with a new recruiting model, which still remains a little bit mysterious, but involves like artificial intelligence and stuff, which sounds very interesting. So I don't know. Is there something on the horizon which is going to be different? Is it different in a way that's going to benefit Sean Dyche or, or, or not? And I, I, 
let's see. But I'm, um, I'm, I, I think they'll be fine. I, I still, I still think um, Chris Wood is one of the more underappreciated centre forwards in the league, and he will score goals. Ashley Barnes is in the nicest possible way, a word I won't use on a podcast, but a player that you'd love to have in your team. Yeah, he, he must be absolutely horrible to play against. But I, I think they'll be okay. I, I certainly don't I don't have the same sort of organ music sounding around them as I do like Newcastle because they have been proactive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you you praised Brighton earlier on. Hey, you know, looking at them, you know, they did well last year with Lamptey. They have some intriguing signings. I, I I saw Mark Cucurella when he played for Barca B and he always he looked perfect for an English type of team. In terms of recruitment, they've done well, haven't they? Yeah, it's not been spectacular, but but it's sort of filling the right holes. Cucurella will will fill the problem left wing back position. I think that that's been that's been an issue for them for a while. I mean, they've used Pascal Gross, Dan Byrne, Solly March in those positions and, and neither, you know, none of them are natural left wing back. So, so that, yeah, that adds balance. And, and when Lamptey's fit again, that will make a difference. Enoch Mwepu from Salzburg, I think will come good. Good player. Good. Yeah. Good player. I think he's, I think yeah. he'll come good. I think he's a, yeah, he, he's got good energy and I, I, I'm actually really excited to see him alongside Bissouma. I think those two can outrun and outbattle and, uh, you know, Two really outplay. skillful players as well. Yeah. Eh? Like outplay. they can outplay a yeah. lot of central yeah. midfielders in this country. I, th- I, think. I think that's a great partnership. Like you say, they've got they've both got a bit of everything, and they're capable. I think of dominating their their direct ad- adversary. So, yeah, Mwepu, and, and obviously, <laughs> let's not forget Basuma. We talk about you know the likes of Leicester keeping on keeping hold of Tielemans and Madison and and Ndidi, but they've kept hold of Basuma, which is. A huge win. It's a huge win because um, I rate the guy. I think I think he's he's top class. So yeah, Brighton. Yeah, baby steps forward. It's not a huge leap, but they've definitely stepped forward. Yeah, in terms of Everton, said by common consent, they probably got the bargain of the window in Damari Gray. Rafa Benitez has gone for the faithful retainer option and and brought in Salomon Rondon, but. And it's a but that you probably have to mention. Moyes Keane, he returns to Juventus after two pretty un- insubstantial seasons, which you can probably say was partly a result of poor management. Where are Everton, team, a, a club with huge ambition, but relatively limited horizons? Yeah, holding pattern until they move into the new stadium, I'd have thought. And that's fair enough. I might invite some criticism of this. I quite like their their transfer business because I've, I feel like the mistake Everton have made over the last couple of summers is not being overly aggressive, but not quite knowing what they wanted. There was that summer a few years ago where they obviously needed pace and they signed like seven number 10s, <laughs> which, is, which is very, very strange. This, I feel like, Damari Gray, I like, been a few false dawns in his career. I've liked him. I, I watched him a lot when he was playing age group football with, with England and always impressed me. So I've always waited for him to kick on. I don't know if that's going to happen this season. It's a good start. I like Andros Townsend as a player. Always give you his very, very best. And he's a gifted player too. And I feel like he was unfairly pilloried at Spurs and a little bit of a difficult time at Palace, but there is a good player there. And I really like Rondon. I think like central to Everton's system is obviously Calvert-Lewin. But if he goes down, that's a really good replacement. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, 
alpha male of a target man, Rondon, and he can do a lot of things well. And he played very, very well for Benitez when he was at Newcastle. And I like it. I mean, I feel they could have done with a fullback. And I think centre-half needs a little bit of attention. But it's a, as far as things go, I think it's been fairly efficient. And I'm, it's funny, Benitez always turns up at clubs where people are absolutely determined to hate him. And I understand it. Like if, you know, I, I remember my reaction to George Graham managing Spurs wasn't so, you know, I wasn't particularly fired up about that. So I, I get it. But I think once this is worn off and once the Liverpool thing has gone away, if it does for some fans, um, then it will be a pretty solid project. And it's exactly what you need before you move into a new stadium. You want competence. They might be more likeable to the fans because what they're going to be is hardworking, efficient, spirited. They're going to break at pace. They they won't be pretty or as pretty as maybe they, they have been. But but so what? It, I, I think that they are the type of team the fans could actually get get behind. The one the one mistake I think that they've made is is obviously on, on James Rodriguez having a player like that loitering around not really being wanted is is it, it could be problematic in in terms of spirit and and unity behind the scenes and they have to sort of yeah make their minds up over what to what to do with him i guess that's a, I feel a bit sorry for the maid though because i yeah. rodriguez comes because ancelotti's there yeah and then florentino perez bats his eyelids and ancelotti doesn't fancy it anymore and the legacy of that is okay it happens in football but you know Rodriguez is not going to be wanted by someone like Rafa Benitez, but it's not really Everton's fault that that situation has developed. It's not really Rodriguez's fault either. And it's certainly not Rafa Benitez's fault. So everyone's kind of landed in a situation because, oh, I want to go manage Real Madrid again because that seems better. And it's it's a it's a moan and it's one of those sort of transient situations which, you know, ruins life for everybody that's not Real Madrid. But it's they needed to get him out, didn't they, really? Yeah, just to get him out on loan because, yeah, yeah he's, he's not the type of guy that's going to be happy being on the bench or yeah, or, or just not involved. And that obviously can cause... When you've got such a recognisable face, a huge player, you know, iconic sort of name, loitering, it, yeah, it can it can be problematic for in terms of spirit. So, yeah, I would have shipped him out on loan sharpish, but, but now it would be fascinating to see whether... Benitez can can embrace him to some degree and 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 have him as an option really. Mm. Yeah, very very quickly, Seb, as you mentioned Real Madrid in passing, what does it say about the Kylian Mbappe situation? How distorted is the game where PSG ignore the chance to make around about two hundred million euros for a player who's going to sign a pre agreement for Real Madrid in January? And anyway, why why did Real Madrid bid two hundred million for a player they can get for nothing in a year's time? That's madness, isn't it? No, well, yeah, yes, obviously, but also, well, it's political. Perez has had a very difficult six months. The collapse of the Super League project, which is mess, reprehensible series of actions by lots of people around the game. That catastrophic interview with the guy with the slip back hair who does all the funny things late at night on Spanish TV. That guy. Perez needed a win and in the modern age what better way to win than by showing your ambition in the transfer market it is a play for the hearts and minds of Real Madrid fans it is a look what we're doing so this guy that um, a couple of months ago was fearing for the very existence of Real Madrid and needed the Super League because otherwise the game would never be the same has spent his summer trying to or bidding in excess of 200 million euros for a player that will be available for free in 12 months time it's disgusting 
and this brinkmanship between PSG and Real Madrid is the same because all it is is a it's a, a situation which is expanded beyond all any kind of logic, beyond any kind of relatable footballing sense, and it describes exactly what football is right now, which is just for the fans standing on the street. It's something that occurs on top of skyscrapers, way above us. It just it's it's just it's repellent actually, and particularly at this time in in the world's history where a lot of people are struggling, you have um, football executives having just a you know figuratively a big money fight in some sort of gilded room behind velvet ropes. It's, uh, it's it turns my stomach. But 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 Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi, we get to see it. I tell you, Aid, I tell you, I watch PSG and they're rubbish. Not they're not <laughs> rubbish, but it was it, it was a it was a circus. The moment Messi came on, yeah, they kind of reverted yeah. to a a kind of entertainment mode and yeah, yeah. Um, it's a Harlem Globetrotters job. Yeah, in a way. But if you know, if if any if all of the sort of the Harlem Globetrotters had never met each other before taking the court, and it was it was just it. I don't. Know, I got bored. It's, I don't know what it is, and I don't think we'll know for a while, but it's not what I watch when yeah, I want to watch in football. I don't think. Can, can, I end with, can I end with you actually looking at the other side of the game, Aid? Jack Wilshire, a player you will know well, can't seem to find himself a club. Is his fate a warning to every footballer? It happens, yeah. Look, you, you become, yeah, your name becomes synonymous with injuries or failures and 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 yeah people don't want to touch you look Jack Wilshere could find a club couldn't he let's 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 be honest he could find a club if he were to effectively start again on on a, on a much lower salary base but yeah look I, f- I feel for him but if he wants if he's got that hunger to continue as a professional footballer then then he'll find somewhere he'll find he needs to find a manager that backs him, and even if they can't afford what what he believes his his value is in terms of annual salary, then I think he should just take the opportunity to get back into the game, be a main man for someone, and 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 give it a go. Because if it, you're a long time retired, and if if he, if he walks away now, I think there'll be there'll be regrets there. Did I go too soon? I'd like to see him just bite the bullet, take a. a, a yeah, take a, take a contract somewhere that maybe is a little bit beneath him and to then come back fighting and show everyone what a good player he is. That that would be what I'd love to see from Jack Wilshere because he was one of the best players I ever saw live wearing the Arsenal shirt. When he was a young player, he was glorious to watch. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd, just, I'd just love to see him, you know, even if he doesn't reach those levels, just love to see him get a little bit of swashbuckle back before before we sort of say goodbye to his career. Yeah, well, Wilshire is discovering the flip side of fame. And in the process, he's reminding us about the reality of professional football. It can all slip away suddenly and easily. Despite the money-driven hysteria of the transfer market, players aren't commodities. They're human beings with families and feelings, hopes and dreams. I, for one, hope Wilshire finds what he's looking for. In the meantime, thanks to Adrian and Seb for their insight and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast.
the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.